Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's cold in here, huh? Huh? Uh, <laughs> if you don't know, we've been without air conditioning for like six weeks, so we got it fixed, and we put that junk on Arctic cold. We said polar bear. We said we just we just typed in polar bear, you know. So, uh, you know the we did have to. We, yeah, thank you, Creed. Thank you. Man. <laughs> We, uh, we did work with, uh, we had to kind of leverage the mall. We had to kind of twist the mall's arm a little bit even to use this because the mall is closed today. Um, so we kind of had to twist their arm a little bit to be able to be in here. And we didn't, and they, they obliged kindly, um, but we got here this morning and they did notify us uh, about five minutes before start that they're not going to open up these bathrooms over here. So, um so we have the two bathrooms in the back, and then we're just going to be a community this morning. Yeah, we're just a community. So, we, if it, you know, they're through the back. There's two bathrooms back there. They're great. Um, yeah, <laughs> Christ is risen. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, I was going to make jokes about the mall and like the resurrection, but I'm trying to filter like real time. <laughs> Real time, I'm trying to filter. <laughs> I'm trying to filter. So I do. Uh, we're we're gonna do something a little different this morning. A few weeks ago, my son, he's in here. My my four year old, uh, Landon. He may, some of you maybe saw it on on Facebook. He's just hilarious. I just post funny things he does every once in a while. And a few, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yes, save it. I love you, Landon. It's going to be good. It's going to be good, Landon. It's going to be good. So I think, um, I don't quite know what was happening at the time, but I think maybe he was supposed to be sitting, <laughs> he's so funny. I think maybe he was supposed to be sitting at the table or something and eating, and, and he got up from the table a couple times, and Jamie was like, don't, don't get up from the table, finish your dinner. And uh, he sat down, he didn't finish, and he got up again, and I think she was like, all right, you, like I've told you so many times, it's time for timeout. So, but before going to timeout, I guess he was just like looking around the house. Like he just, on his way to timeout, he's just looking around the house. Like what's, what is maybe, and Jamie was just like, what are you doing? And he was like, well, before I go to timeout, I'm sure there's some mercy around here somewhere for you to give me. four. He's four. I'm in so much trouble. He's four. <laughs> you know, I think if we're, if I were to talk to him and just ask him, like, who do you, you know, who do you think, who do you think God is? What do you know about God? I think two primary things that he would know this early, like four years old, I think he would know that God is abundant in love and mercy. Um, and I think Easter is an opportunity for us to remember maybe the historical foundation of that kind of understanding of God that's, that's kind of spread out through history. And maybe for some of us, Easter 
is when is this memory of when God historically, 2,000 years ago, when he displayed his love and his mercy for us. And that's certainly true, but this morning, I don't want to just remember a historical event. And I don't want to spend our time wrestling with the, the proofs of that historical event or the historicity of that historical event of the resurrection. This morning, I want to, take a, I want to try together to let the, resur- the implications of the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection, run its course through our lives now. I want to reflect on the reality of the resurrection for us today. And I want to do that by, by being in this uh, quick text together in John 20. If you, if you have a piece of paper, it's on the other side, uh, or you could go find it on a screen. It's John 20, 19 through 22. And what I'm going to do is, uh, you know, typically we all read it, and then we get into like little groups, and we talk about it, and then we have this like big group kind of dialogue and discussion about the text. But this morning, I just, I'm going to jump into it. But uh, just, it's a unique thing, but could we all stand for the reading of God's word this morning? I'll read, and we'll stand for the, the reading of the word this morning. So stand with me if you're able, and I'll read this uh, 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 text as you follow along. Lord, wake us up to this, this, the reality that you have for us. John 20, 19 through 22, on the evening of that first day of the week, that's the Sunday after Good Friday, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. God, wake us up to what you have for us. It's in your name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. This morning, I want to talk about how Jesus finds his way. Jesus finds his way into our locked rooms. And he always brings hope and joy to our fears and pains. You see, the disciples just watched their whole world come apart. They had grown up hearing the stories of a Messiah to come. Stories uh, from their parents, stories from their community, stories from their friends, stories from their teachers, stories from their civic leaders, stories from their religious leaders about a Messiah to come. All kinds of expectations around that messianic figure to come. And they would have imagined a kingly uh, a person, uh, maybe a rebellious person, one who would talk about bringing uh, a kingdom, and one, one who would come to overthrow Roman occupation over the people of Israel and liberate the people of Israel uh, as an autonomous, indep- independent power in the world who could then uh, uh, prosperously represent God to the nations. Each one of these disciples in that room, locked in that room, each one of them in a different way had a radical encounter with this man, Jesus, uh, a little over three years earlier. And they were convinced by these radical encounters, miraculous encounters, convicting encounters. They became convinced that this Jesus of Nazareth, this carpenter, uh, was the Messiah. He was the one who would overthrow 
and renew and make things right. And they had, each of one of these had these radical encounters with Jesus, and they left their entire lives. Their, their families, their homes, the, the, the life that they had built, their way of providing for themselves, their occupations, uh, their, their web of relationships, they left that life behind. In some cases, burned the bridge to that life in order to follow Jesus on this mission that he was up to about the kingdom of God, about going along and announcing that the kingdom of God was near and cultivating that kingdom reality along the way. They, they, they left their lives behind to assist him with his mission, to join with him. And they spent three years traveling from town to town, teaching about the kingdom of God, uh, listening to him teach about the kingdom of God, witnessing Jesus do miracles uh, uh, for uh, physical miracles, healing the sick, uh, uh, bringing sight to the blind, uh, uh, raising the, the people who could not walk, raising the lame to actually walk, actually de demonstrate authority not just over the body but over life and death, actually calling the dead to rise by his very word, demonstrating his power and authority over creation by calming a storm, multiplying fishes and loaves to feed 5,000, and demonstrating his authority uh, over, over even uh, demons and, spirit, and spirits by calling demons out by even the, the mention of his name uh, from other people. They witnessed and were a part of this, and in some key cases even participated in it uh, for three years along the way. And then they watched in these final days when they reached Jerusalem and in the final week of, of the life of Jesus, they watched as their leader, their king, their master, their rabbi, their teacher, the one that they trusted, the, and even the idea of the future that they hoped for, they watched it be arrested, they watched it be tried publicly, they watched him totally silent and passive before false accusations, to not even try to defend himself, they watched him willfully receive punishment to be publicly shamed and scorned, spit on, abused, and eventually to carry a cross and to be crucified on a cross as, as a public spectacle for all to see, for all to hear, to be made ex an example of. And for his body to be brought down from that crucifixion and to be wrapped and buried in a tomb the tomb closed by a rock. And then for that body, to, and then to mourn that death and that body for two days. And here they are locked in a room because they would be feeling a deep sense of failure that what we set out to do was not accomplished. We just, we just lost three years of our lives. We're never going to get back. And, and I walked away from everything that had been leading up to my, it, it, that I'd been building, relationships, vocation, everything. All for this, and, and we completely, it all fell apart. A deep sense of failure locked behind that door. They'd be feeling a deep sense of shame. Not just that we failed, but we are failures. That we're, we're idiots. We got duped. We believed this was real. Obviously, this is not real. He's dead. He's in a tomb. So we were fools. We were, we were foolish. And the shame of that, the public scorn of that, that they were ignorant, 
perhaps ignorant idealists. But they wouldn't just be feeling that failure and that shame, but they would also be feeling fear, fear of what's outside the door, fear of what's on the other side of that door, afraid of the very real threat of persecution, afraid of humiliation because they bought into this and followed this king who was now dead, afraid of the unknown future that they would be stepping into through the threshold of that door. What is next? What is next? What is next? And so on Sunday, they were locked in this room on Sunday. They locked themselves in hiding and wishing away reality. And if we're honest, when we have experiences of failure, experiences of shame, experiences of fear, when our hopes crumble, our high hopes that we actually put our trust in, when, when the people that we put our trust in, the ideas, the vision that we put our trust in, even the God, the Christ Jesus that we put our trust in seems to fail or betray us, we feel failure, shame, betrayal, wounds, fear. And we do the same thing they did. We lock doors. We hide. We get in rooms and we keep them locked. We don't let anybody in to see and we certainly don't come out. I want to show you something. I did something strange last night. I want to tell you about it. I found this thing on Craigslist. It was blank when I found it. You, it. It's got a magnet. You put it on your car. It's like a taxi cab thing. And then you plug it into your car and you like push this button and it lights up. It was blank when I found it. And I went and I got these. When I got it, I was just thinking, I don't know what I was thinking actually. <laughs> I could try to virtuize that somehow, but I'm not sure what I was thinking. Um, but I got it. And I, I was thinking like side hustle. I think that's what I was doing. Like I'll just start my own taxi service or something. I don't know. But then eventually I thought, you know, I'm, I, I was just driving home one day and I was just trying to think about like a creative way to do uh, outreach, a, a new way to maybe do, to connect with people and to be able to share the gospel. And I started thinking, I could just give free rides. Like I could be a free taxi service. So then uh, yesterday I just felt the need to, after we put the kids to bed last night, to try something, just experiment with something. I don't know why. So my wife let me leave the house after we put the kids down. I put these letters on it, free, and I put it on my truck, and I decided to go uh, driving around Ebor last night giving free rides. It is awkward. You can feel that. You can feel that. You, I was kind of thinking, like, originally I was thinking this would go really, it would be really easy, quick, but it's hard times for taxi services right now. It's hard times. <laughs> And uh, I was talking to Josh Hopp and David Linden yesterday afternoon, and I was telling them about it. And they were both like, yeah, maybe a good idea, but I personally would not get in that car. <laughs> they both were like, they were like, the reason Uber works is because there's like a terms of service agreement. There's like trust. There's like, you know the person. They're held accountable to something, somewhere. There's some kind of oversight. I was like, yeah, good point. <laughs> maybe a good point. But I gave it a shot, Creed. I gave it a shot. I went driving around. Last... So I was driving up and down 7th Avenue, and I had this, I turned this little light on. And I drove, maybe for like 10 minutes, just nothing. Nothing going on. 
Probably because of that, because people are like, what is this? What is happening? And, um, but then my saving grace, it started raining. And people's trust standard dropped, I think. It started sprinkling. It started sprinkling. I also don't think people know how to wave down a cabbie anymore because you just do something on the phone. So if you see something, you're not sure how to get their attention or whatever. Like, you don't know. What do you do? So I was just watching in my rearview mirrors, and I passed this group of three, and they were just staring, staring, staring. And they literally just maybe like half put their hand up, and I just slammed on my brakes. Like, come on, let's do it. So two, two, two guys, two guys and a, and a girl. They were maybe in their late 30s. I think they were coworkers uh, going out. And um, they came over, and what I did, what I did was they, they opened up the door, and they were like, is this like a free, free ride, free taxi? I was like, yes, it's, it's, a, it's a free ride anywhere within a five-mile radius. And, and... I don't, take, uh, I don't take cash, I don't take any currency, but you do have to tell me a story that somehow explains a part of who you are today. That's all I ask. That's all I ask. And actually, I did this with one person. One person stopped, and they were like, oh, free rides. And I was like, yeah, it's totally free. You just have to tell me a story about your past that informs your current. And they were like, I'll just Uber. And they just, <laughs> they were like, no chance. I shut the door. I'll pay my $7 or whatever it is. But this group of three, they were like, awesome, that sounds great. And they got in, they got in and, you know, just learned their names really quick. And I was just like, well, I'm taking you, I'm not taking you far. So I'm not going to ask each of you to tell me a story. I just, need, I just require one story. That's all. I just require one story. And um, they could be any story. They could be hilarious stories, short stories, uh, uh, hard stories, tragic stories, secret stories. They could be fake stories. I won't know. You tell me any story. And so the first guy, I mean, he was obviously extroverted. His name was Tommy, and uh, he was—he—he he, was—he um, just jumped right in, and he, I could tell he's kind of like life of the party. He just told this hilarious story. He said, uh, when he was in college, he—he uh, um, he would on Saturdays he would sleep like past noon. He would like sleep in hard, hard. He'd like go to, and so he relied on the dining hall when he would wake up to go and because he'd be starving at like 12:30, 1 o'clock. And um, there was a day that he was in his dorm, but the dining hall was closed, and he didn't realize it, and he was starving. So he went to find this diner, this diner he'd never gone to before, never tried before. So he goes to this diner, and he orders lunch. He's just by himself, drinking some coffee, reading a book. No problem. And he, uh, at like 1.30, 1.45, he needs to go to the bathroom. So he just goes to the bathroom real quick, and, and somebody just peeks in the, um, like, like steps in the bathroom and does the whole, like, is anybody in here thing? And I don't know about you guys, but I always have like a crisis moment when that happens because like, do you, it's like a little bit exposed. Yeah, it's like vulnerable. I don't know. So he said the same thing. He was like, I don't know. Like I'm, I was going to be out pretty quick. I just didn't want to like say, yeah, I'm in here. It just feels embarrassing or awkward. So he didn't say anything. And so, but what he didn't realize was that the diner closes at two o'clock and it was two o'clock. So that what they were doing was peeking in to say, is anybody in here? And then they were like leaving and closing up the restaurant. He didn't say anything. So they like shut the lights off, close the bathroom. They lock the bathroom because they had some system in place where they like, they lock the bathroom when they close so that the next people coming the next morning would, would actually clean the bathroom because they have to unlock it. So it's like the system in place. So they, they lock the bathroom. Then they lock the restaurant. Then they leave. He gets out. He realizes the bathroom's locked. There's no windows in the bathroom. And he's like beating like, let me out. Nobody's there. And his phone is dead. So he's like, so he's telling the story and we're all just dying laughing. And he, he spent the night in that bathroom. 
he spent the actual night in that bathroom. The next morning, like five in the morning, somebody's opening up to start prepping food and they find him in there. He's like, thank you for saving me. Like, what time is it? Because the phone was dead. Like, what time is it? I've just been like, pitch. So then he says at the end of the story, at the end of the story, he says, that's why I never go to public bathrooms at restaurants. Like the whole formation thing, something that happened in my past and it influenced it. And both of his friends were like, that's why? Like they never talked about this. They never talked about it. <laughs> that was amazing. The two people who were sitting in the back, their names were uh, Phil and Tracy. So they were, they were listening to him. We're all laughing. They were, they were like, he was like, you know, life of the party fun, jump right in. They were like processing more. And the guy, Phil, was like, he just kind of jumped in, but he had this kind of, I don't know, like um, a really harsh sense of humor, like a brutal kind of sense of humor. And he was like, he, he just started out with like the formation today. He was like, yeah, I'm like really emotionally disconnected from people because I had a rough relationship with my dad and was like kind of like trying to like laugh, laugh, laugh. And we, and it, it was kind of like, wow, <laughs> like you really went there, like you went there. And then, and then he was like, yeah, I, and then it kind of got serious. It was like, like we laughed for a minute and they, they knew him better. So I, they were kind of giving me permission to laugh because I wasn't sure, but they started laughing. So I was like, okay, we're doing it. And, um. But then he actually like told a serious story. He was like, he was like, yeah, when I was, uh, you know, I think he's like having counseling, and so it's fresh on his mind. So he's like talking about it a little bit more openly. And he was like, yeah, when I was in middle school, I was eating beans at the table with my family, and one of the beans was like rock hard, and so I spit just the one bean out, the one rock hard bean. And his dad thought that he was like rejecting the food, like I won't eat this, and his dad backhanded him at the table in front of the family just for spitting out a bean that was like rock hard and he said like yeah i like that's like a peak memory for me that like describes my relationship with my father and you know pe we all laugh like i am like kind of emotionally disconnected from like my friends and my loved ones and all that kind of stuff but i do think i'm i think i'm starting to realize like part of it has to do with my relationship with my dad and like it, it started to get serious and it was like oh man like